Well, hello, and welcome back to another episode of TWIM. This is February 4, 2023. My name is Jennifer Roach, and I am here with Sarah Allen. Sarah, welcome. Hey, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Sarah, I imagine that some listeners of this program have heard your name, and they're going, wait, how do I place her? Where, where, what are you involved in, Sarah? Probably. Um, so about two years ago or so, I started writing um, some posts on Reddit about the CES letter, and one of my fellow moderators on that sub uh, is a volunteer with FAIR, and he took them to Scott Gordon, who is the president, and Scott liked them, so they started reposting them on their blog. So I had to dox myself and put my real name out there and my picture and everything, so that was very weird. <laughs> but um, I am also doing another one. After that was over, he asked me to do one on the letter for my wife, which just started two weeks ago, I think, on FAIR and mm-hmm. um, weeks before that on Reddit. Yeah. And, um, also, I am involved with a nonprofit called Hear Him Retreats. Um, it's just getting going right now, but it will be for um, young adults who are members of the church to um get away for a little while and meet other people and mingle mm-hmm. and stuff. Uh, we do have a retreat planned for the first week of May. Um, the website is not up and running yet, but the social media, you can follow um, Facebook and Instagram, both at Hear Him Retreats. It'll have uh, waivers and all the payment information and sign-up stuff coming up soon. Um, for speakers so far, uh, Josh Coates from the B.H. Roberts Foundation and Mormoner. I ad- I adore Josh Coates. He's amazing. Yeah, no, I, I'm excited. I, I like him too. And um, the always wonderful Jasmine Rapley has also confirmed mm-hmm. to be here. So we're excited to have her. Ugh. And we reached out to a few other people they haven't confirmed yet. So um, mm-hmm. just follow the social media and we will have all kinds of stuff available. That is fantastic. I didn't know you were involved in that. Glad to hear about all of that. Um, I'll go back to your your CES letter for a minute. You make it sound like you just wrote a couple of little posts and and Fair reposted them and it was great. It turns out (laughs) it's a 70-part response (laughs) to the the most complete thing I've ever seen. Yeah, um, it does take a long, a lot more room to refute an argument than it is to make an accusation. Like anybody can just say mm-hmm. anything without any proof. And so when you're counteracting that, you know, you have to go through all of it. And context is so important because he cuts everything out of context. And, mm-hmm. you know, he cherry picks quotes and he removes portions from the middle of quotes <laughs> that make it. Yes. It only changes the meaning of it and everything. So. You have to put all of that back in, and it takes a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's incredibly thorough, um, incredibly impressive, and and I think you won an award for it. Um, yeah, Fair gave me an award that was back there next to my statue of uh, the Christus on my shelf. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was not expecting it. It was a surprise, but it was very generous of them, and it's very pretty in person, I like it. Yeah, I think that is fantastic. Sarah and I met each other at this last year's fair conference. It's, it's held in August in Provo. It is. 
Are you going to be there again? This we, year? I am going to be there again this year. It's a fantastic party. You can nerd out so with all of the other smarty pants, and it's great fun. <laughs> so much fun. I loved it. That was the first one I've been to in person. Ah, oh, I love it. If you're if you're listening and you you like the um, the super nerdy stuff, come and hang out with us. It's a party. Oh, it's so much fun. Um, for, for listeners of this show, you probably know who I am, but I don't think I have talked about my new project, which is also with FAIR. Sarah and I are, are FAIR sisters. <laughs> um, and I'm doing a, um, a Come Follow Me podcast for them. There's already 8 million Come Follow Me's. And so this is not in like competition with those. This is not trying to one up any of those. All of those are great. I listen to lots of them. The focus on this one is we're looking at um, the questions that evangelicals have for our church as they would come up in the text as we go along. So the point is not to try and um, argue with evangelicals. This isn't like, here's how to argue with them. This is, here's how to understand them. This is what they're saying. This is why they're saying it. And once you get that, it's a lot easier to have a productive conversation. So that's been a ton of fun for me. Um, I, I've really enjoyed that a lot. You can check that out on either the Fair Latter-day Saints website or their YouTube channel. Bunch of stuff there. Um, yes, Sarah. I was just going to say, it's actually been really helpful for me because my best friend of like several decades is Baptist and she was actually raised evangelical. And so we have a lot of uh, similar vocabulary to mean different things. So mm -hmm. Go into the details too much of what we each believe. We just mostly talk about the stuff we have in common. Like we both believe in God. We read the scriptures. We love the Bible. You know things like that. So we don't mm -hmm. really go into the details very much. And so I have to tell you, I, I was watching your conversion story, and it was so funny. Um, you were describing your your churches that you had been to in the past, and just a little light bulb went on. And I went, oh my gosh, that sounds like her church. I bet she's evangelical. We asked her, and she was like, I was raised that, yeah. And I had no idea. She's been my best friend for 24 years. Oh, that's hilarious. You know, the term evangelical is confusing, because what is an evangelical? And it's kind of actually rather hard to define, and there's 27 different definitions of it. Yes. Basically, it's a, it's a subset of Protestants that have existed for about the last 70 years, is roughly what evangelicals are. Um, getting more specific than that, you're you're asking for a fight. <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 it's hard for me to tell which ones are evangelical and which ones are not, especially because even within the same denomination, some churches are and some aren't. And so it's very confusing. Yeah. Here's here's my quick guide to how to tell if a church is evangelical. The skinnier the pastor's jeans are while he's preaching, the more likely they are to be evangelical. Good to know. I will keep that in mind. <laughs> Measure his gene tightness and, and, and you found yourself an evangelical. Oh, I can say that here. I don't think I would say that on my Come Follow Me show. <laughs> Probably, yeah, maybe not the right time for that. Right. Well, thank you, Sarah, for telling us about your projects. Um, what What has been going on in your life recently? Um, not a lot. I started a new second job on Monday. That's the big thing. So I've just been scrambling, trying to catch up with all the stuff I don't do during the day anymore. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but otherwise, um, that's pretty much it. I am very boring. 
Yeah, yeah. No, boring is good. I like it. It gives you it gives your brain time to think about other things. Yes. My my work life, I'm a mental health therapist. So January and February are traditionally really rough on a lot of people, right? The holidays are over, it's dark, it's cold, everybody's kind of miserable. Um, and there tends to be kind of an uptick in requests for mental health this time of year. So I've been keeping plenty busy. I bet, yeah. It's 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 good though. It's good work. I love it. Well, let's get to the news. Um, Sarah, you've got our first story up. Tell me, young boy, what is all this about? Okay, so um, there is this rapper. I honestly had never heard of him until I saw this article either. I'm a little past um, that age range, I think. (laughs) But um, he is a rapper named uh, Young Boy Never Broke Again. He is very prolific. He put out eight entire albums last year. And he is insane. Yeah. And he is the third highest streamed artist of all of last year as well. So he's very popular. Um, he has been under house arrest in Salt Lake. I'm not entirely sure why. I didn't really go into that in the article here. But mm-hmm. he's been under house arrest and the missionaries came by and he was so bored. He was like, okay, come on in and chat. And then he started ta- taking the discussions and talking and reading the Book of Mormon and stuff. And now he's talking about converting. Isn't that crazy? I want to know if anyone is listening and knows, I want to know who are the missionaries that found him? Did they know who he was when he opens the door, however that happens? And what has it been like for them to go through this process? I think that would be fascinating. Elders, whoever you are, maybe it was sisters. I don't know. Would love to talk to you. (laughs) That would actually make a lot of sense. He's bored and too cute yeah show up at his door yeah right um the other detail of that I thought was so fascinating is um he is on house arrest which includes for him as it normally does that he's wearing an ankle monitor yeah which is an electronic device that cannot be submerged in water um so people who are on an electronic monitoring device have to do all kinds of creative things like even to be able to shower right because you ruin your if you ruin your device, it looks like you've caused problems and maybe you're not in your house or whatever. So that that's like a huge issue in in that um, community. I don't know if you call them a community. So so one of this kid's issues is like I can't get baptized. <laughs> number one, I can't leave my house, and number two, I have this monitor on. So I actually don't know what the timing is on all of that, and maybe that's court determined. I don't know. So it's not like his baptism is this week. No, um, no, it's going to be a little while yet, it looks like. Um, I was curious. I mean, Sarah, how long have you been in, how long have you been a Latter-day Saint? Um, I was born in the church. Okay, so you know the culture just like way, way, way better than I do. What do you think it will be like for a kid like this to join the church? Um, it probably depends on where he's located when he goes. Um, Utah, there's not a whole lot of black people here. (laughs) Um, what? I know. (laughs) Shocking, right? Um, we have a lot of Hispanics. We have a lot of Pacific Islanders. We do not have very many Mm -hmm. black people. Mm -hmm. So, um, he'll probably stand out just for that. Um, but you know, as long as he is friendly, I, 
conference usually get a pretty warm reception. You know, people mm-hmm. want to hear about them in their lives and they want to sit by them and get to know them and everything. So he'll probably get a pretty warm reception, but mm-hmm. I think it's going to be a bit of a culture shock for him from what it sounds yeah. like. He's talking about a lot of uh, violent lyrics and things. Mm-hmm. I One of the thoughts I had was, um, you know, when a person... Uh, I didn't know who he was either. I'm a million years old. So like, that's totally out of my range. Um, but when a person of some notoriety joins the church, I I think one of the strengths that we have is normal ward life um, kind of puts you into a situation where you're not going to be treated it, like at, like as a celebrity as much like you're just going to be treated as as brother so and so and you're given a calling maybe he'll be ward missionary maybe he'll be second assistant to the librarian in charge of chalk I don't like I don't know what his calling is going to be <laughs> but it's very like you're a normal person here which I think is um is beneficial I agree absolutely um you know fellowshipping and getting people involved right away is always a good thing. It, it gives them a community. It gives them something to do and people to get to mm-hmm. relate. Yeah. So I, I totally get that. And, and a place to be just a, just a normal human being church member without other people kind of mobbing you and worshiping you and all of that. I, I, I am grateful that at least there's that dynamic in our church for him. It could be a rough transition in some ways. <laughs> it, it probably will be a little bit. It sounds like it's quite a very different lifestyle than what he's used to, but hopefully it'll be good. Yeah. All right. Moving on. Um, In an entirely different direction, (laughs) we had a story in the um, Salt Lake Trib this week on, um, they're calling it food storage light. And here, so I'm, so I'm a convert. If you've ever heard any, if you've ever heard any words come out of my mouth, you've probably heard that. Um, One of the, one of my first introductions to the church was a family I was friends with when I was a child and they were very faithful members of the church and had a one-year supply of food. I was at their house all the time. So I ate their food all the time. And the only thing I really remember was that included powdered milk and, and, and from the food storage. And often it was kind of warm powdered milk. (laughs) So I didn't, I didn't have like the greatest impression of like a food storage. And so when I joined the church, I remember saying like, like, okay, I'm going to join this church, but I'm not becoming the weird food storage lady. Yeah. And, and that was a year before the pandemic. And then all of a sudden during the pandemic, like, huh, food storage actually makes some sense. (laughs) I had to, I had to back up on that a little bit. Um, Sarah, what, what has, what's your history with food storage? Oh goodness. Um, so we would have these little 72 hour kits and stuff with, um, a bunch of food storage stuff done in for, uh, emergencies. Mm -hmm. We would, uh, on general conference, we would, cause you know, you have to rotate through them and everything. So every, uh, general conference, we would snack on the gross little food packets while we watched Thomas when we were kids. Uh, wow. Is, was that a thing? Is that what people did? I don't know if other people did it. That's what my... Okay, that's what you did. Not fun. Okay. <laughs> my, my experience with General Conference has obviously only been in the last couple of years. 
And it has actually been quite the opposite of that going. Like I always like to watch with friends or whatever. So going over to other people's houses and there's like a buffet of waffles and pancakes and syrup and fruit. And like, it's a feast. Yeah. It is very different in other households from what I had growing up. I will absolutely agree with that. Yeah. Um, what's your sense on, um, do like younger or single people or people who kind of live on their own, is food storage very important to folks like that? Um, it is to some of us. Um, some of us, it's not. It, it just really depends. Um, sure. I have some in my pantry in my um, my storage cupboard. Mm-hmm. Um, not a lot of it. It's like three months worth, mm-hmm. you know, but um, my uh, my space is kind of limited. Sure. So there's not a whole lot of place for me to stack unless I put it against my wall or something, you know. Yeah. Um, but I imagine it's just like with everything. Some people have it. Some people don't. Some people have some. Some people have a ton. Just really, mm-hmm. I think, space limitations and budget. Yeah. Really the big restrictions. Yeah. Like if you live alone in, you're renting a room or you've got a little apartment, like, well, like you can hide it under your bed. I don't. E- I don't even know how people manage it. Three months, actually, I suppose, is the is the current recommendation from the church, at least according to this article. I didn't know that. Oh, I didn't know that either. I thought it was still a year. And I was like, I'm yep. still not anywhere near that. Right. So you you got three months. You're on point. Awesome. Good to know. Also, <laughs> uh, if if um I'm in Utah and I run out of food and and I know whose house I'm going to. <laughs> you could. Yeah. <laughs> All right, moving on. Sarah, this is a crazy story. $500 million Ponzi scheme. Catch us up. What is this about? So um, I don't really, I, I kind of just skimmed it the other day. I didn't really read it in depth, and I was just pulling it to do that, and it gave me trouble signing into the Washington Post. Mm. <laughs> but um, so there was this Ponzi scheme going on. They were actually targeting members of the church because, you know, we're, kind of naive about things like that you know we want we expect other people to trust us because we know that we're being honest so we just assume everybody Mm -hmm. or not (laughs) so um unfortunately members of the church do tend to fall for things like this a little bit more often than other people do and um yeah this was crazy um it was 500 million dollars the washington post and the fbi worked on this together to break this story and um, he was trying to just skim it real quick because I just did not have time to do that this morning. So um, I think he he was. How was he getting people to give him money? So um, it's. He was pitching it as like this uh, risk-free opportunity um, where they could get annual returns of like 50%, I think it was. Wow. To lend money to people who had fallen and hurt themselves in accidents and they were waiting for their checks for the, from the lawsuit settlements. Mm-hmm. Except that uh, none of it was happening. Yeah. <laughs> if someone promises you a 50% return guaranteed risk-free, free you should probably be suspicious seriously you do not even play with that that is just insane yeah i know nothing about finance but i know that 
Um, so I used to work in the fraud department at Wells Fargo as one of my higher second jobs, um, with the debit card and the banking fraud. And uh, this one was pretty bad. Yeah. Did, did you, um, were you working that job in Utah? Like, were you working with Utah clients? Um, some of them were from Utah. We, we would take calls from all over the country. Okay. Interesting. It is interesting to me the the whole dynamic of sometimes members of the church are a little bit gullible. They are. They're a little naive. I think it's just, like I said, I think it's because we we know that we would be honest in our business feelings. And so mm-hmm. we just expect everybody else to be too. And yeah. we aren't maybe as cynical as we need to be sometimes. Yeah. You know, I like I, to give people the benefit of the doubt. We don't like to say, yeah. are you lying to me? Really? Yeah. I think in other churches, there is just a more, there's just a cultural skepticism or a cultural cynicism that it it might protect them from things like this. It exposes them to different risks, like living your life is kind of cynical, certainly comes with its own risks. So if you had to choose like gullible or cynical, which would you choose? Oh, man. Um I don't know. Like, I, I don't want to look at people suspiciously. I want to give them the benefit of that and assume that they're acting, like, mm-hmm. honestly, and they're trying to be fair. And I, I know I would not like it if people looked at me that way, but you have to protect yourself, too. You have to be smart yeah. about it, and you have to use your brain and, you know, do some critical thinking and really consider what you're doing. So I think mostly optimistic with a little healthy dose of skepticism is yeah that sounds like probably the mature um good adult looking out for yourself way to be i think so (laughs) yeah i like it um next up so this this is this is fascinating to me we're gonna talk about um the roots tech conference is coming up um are, are you a family history person um, I like the stories. Uh, my grandmother is really the one who would go through and do all of the actual family history. Um, she mm-hmm. used to volunteer at the family history um, it, for, for the ward, like that was part of her calling. Mm-hmm. And um, so she would primarily do most of it. Um, she's not able to anymore. She's in a, a care facility now. Mm-hmm. So... Um, it's something I've been looking into a little bit more. Um, I, I mm-hmm. love reading like the journals and the stories and stuff. I, that's one of the things that I love a lot about history. So yeah. That I'm interested in. So this is kind of a cool thing. I'm excited. Yeah. I, um, I had probably a, a moderate interest in family history, mostly um, as a pragmatic thing to find people who needed work done in the temple and like I'm a convert. So there's lots of that in my family. So that's mostly how I have approached it. However, I kind of have gotten newly interested in it because I heard a quote from someone who said, um, let me get it right. The temple and family history leader of the future will have to be far more intimately familiar with understanding DNA than they are now, which is fascinating, right? Yeah. Because when we think of family history work, we think of your grandma, right? right? And she's got her newspaper clippings and, and yes. she's got all of like the records, maybe even physical records. Maybe if she's real advanced, she's got it on to family search and it's digital records. But like, 
it's pretty much besides the the technology aspect it's really it's similar work to what has been done for forever here's why i got interested in the in the dna bit um do you know who the Golden State Killer is? Yes, I am a, a big true crime person. Yeah. Okay. So. Do you know how he got caught? Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Tell me the story. So um, they they had some DNA left over from one of the crimes, and they ran it through one of the the ancestry websites where you can upload your DNA and find your relatives. And they mm-hmm. found a family member of his, and so they they could tell it wasn't that person they just knew that they were related so they started looking at all of their relatives nearby who were in the area who were the right age and they narrowed it down to one guy and they dug through his trash because your trash is typically legal to be searched once you throw it away it's not yours anymore so they found some of his dna in his garbage can and they ran it through and it was a match so they arrested him isn't that crazy? Like this guy, he was committing crimes all over California in like the 1970s. Yeah, yeah. Well, he, he had two separate, that's why they combined it into the Golden State Killer because he had two mm-hmm. separate names. They didn't realize he was the same person. Isn't that funny? Yeah. I, I was a kid in the 1970s in California and I remember being kind of terrorized by like, am I going to get killed by this guy? Wow. Oh my goodness. And so to to hear the the story of kind of how he got caught and how DNA worked in that, it really got me curious of what is the role of DNA in family history work? And what it seems like for most people is they do a, an ancestry or a 23andMe DNA thing, they get it back, they kind of see some information on some cousins or you know, second, third cousins or whatever, people they don't know. They don't actually know, they don't understand how to like make the connections between them and that person. The rest of their matches are people they already knew. It's their mom, right? Like the the thing that sort of clicked in my head was the same type of work that was done to catch this Golden State Killer, the the really careful like pen and paper, like old records, family history work can help you connect your DNA matches the dna isn't going to tell you exactly like this is your third cousin on this side and it's going to give you here's a possibility of who this person could be but you combine that with the old-fashioned careful looking through records and you can figure out who people are which i think is fascinating totally i am so excited for that i did not know um very much about dna i my knowledge of that was mostly based on like high school biology, what I read on the Ancestry website, my own DNA report, right? Like that's kind of how I had cobbled together my knowledge of it. And it turns out if you if you learn 20 or so terms that have to do with DNA and what they are, you can get yourself quite a little education and figure out how to help people find their family through not not just their living family, but but ancestors through DNA work. And I think it's really exciting. One of the yeah. One of the applications for that is is obviously um people who've been adopted. If they don't know their their relatives, they do a DNA test and it's it's gonna give you a direction to go. You still have to do the the very careful record searching. But eventually 
it just like with the Golden State Killer, you eliminate, 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 eliminate until there's only a person that it could be. Right. So, so 20 years from now, the the family history leader at your ward is going to be a person who understands how to do this. So interesting to me because, you know, yeah. a lot of the times the people who get called to do that are like my grandma, you know, they're kind of the, the senior couples and you don't really expect them to know how to do that kind of thing. So it's yeah. fascinating to me that it's trending in that direction. Yeah. If this is something you are interested in, the Roots Tech Conference is coming up. It's about a month away. Registration is free if you want to just attend online. I think it's like $100 to attend the three days in person. And there is a whole track on using DNA to do your family history work. How do you do it? How do you understand actually what DNA is? What do these matches mean? How do you manage the like Y chromosome problem? Um all like all of the stuff that somebody would need to know to get up to speed on DNA. Some of that information is already on their website from like past conferences that they've had. They've always included, maybe not always in, in recent years, they have included a DNA um, track that you could take. And this year it seems to be significantly expanded. Um, so I've got a whole bunch of classes marked already that you can, you can go in after you register, you can go in there and save what classes you want to do. And I'm going to listen to all the DNA classes. I don't blame you. I think that's so, so interesting. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it ain't, it ain't going to be grandma's. This isn't grandma's family history work. Yeah, not at all. This is some, some smarty pants kid who went to college who, who can teach everybody else. How, how do you do, how do you do DNA? Anyway, moving on, we get a really interesting address from Elder Hamilton. Will you tell us about that? Yes. So um, a few, probably a few days ago now, maybe about a week or so ago, um, Elder Kevin Hamilton of the 70 gave a BYU devotional. And in that devotional, he uh, was basically saying that, you know, the Savior has chosen his representatives to run this church. They speak in his name, they speak on his behalf. And when they speak in a united, unanimous council, then that comes from the Lord. So when you criticize them, when you protest them, when you attack them, you are essentially also attacking the Savior because he has given them his endorsement and his approval. So it it caused quite a lot of controversy online, <laughs> especially on Reddit. There was quite, mm-hmm. quite a bit of, of uh, dissatisfaction with that mm-hmm. and on Twitter and just social media just went crazy over it. They are not happy with him. They're accusing him of creating new commandments and mm. new doctrine. And this is not new doctrine. This has been around since the days of Moses. The Savior himself repeated it in both of the New Testament and in the Doctrine and Covenants. Like, this is not new doctrine. So yeah. it's really interesting to watch the reaction from it. And, yeah. you know, um, people are saying, well, you know, it's just one person speaking his opinion. You know, that's not doctrine. The Church News and the Church Newsroom website both endorsed this talk. Yeah. The Church stands behind this. Yep. This is not it- just him going rogue. The backlash to it, and I certainly don't have as um, detailed of a view on all of that as you do, but the backlash to it kind of surprised me because the talk itself is rather 
it, it's kind of like you read it and you're like, yeah, duh. Yeah. No, I, I, I had the same reaction. I was like, this is really benign. Why are you guys freaking out? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, I mean, people, there are some people who get outraged over everything. And there are other people who read what they want to read, you know, what they if they've been conditioned to think that's what it says from other people, they'll read it and they'll see mm-hmm. those things in it, even though they're not yeah. there. So I can understand how it's kind of snowballed a little bit, but the initial reaction, like I, I was like, there's nothing controversial at, at all in this talk. This is stuff we've been taught our whole lives. It's nothing. New. Yeah. Um, Sarah, you are kind of my um, go-to person on like, how, how does the Reddit world respond to Like, I don't even understand what Reddit is in a lot of ways. And you've been intimately involved in that world for a really long time, but I imagine you have to have pretty thick skin to do the job that you do there. Yes. Um, we were talking the other day and I, I posted that list of all of the names I had been called over the past two yeah. years. And it, it was kind of appalling. Like, like when it's spaced out, you know, you don't really realize it. it you know, mm-hmm. I feel it's a lot easier to just put it aside and not be upset about it. But when I was looking at that big, there was probably 50 names on that list, at least, of insults that people had directed at me personally, just for yeah. writing those blog series. And wow. um, it, it was a little upsetting to see them all in one big block like that. I was like, oh my gosh, yeah. for a long time, this is not okay. You know, um, have you seen the video? Jasmine has a video on her. She has the Temple Light um, YouTube channel and and TikTok, and she has she has a video where she reads out like negative comments that people have said about her. Um, so, such a such a pretty face for such an ugly religion, right? Like it like she's adorable and she's, oh, she's brilliant, lovely, and she's right? so and she, smart and so kind. Yes, and she gets all these things thrown at her. Um, I thought it was really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it, it really surprised me when I was looking at I, I had just, you know, like I said, you just brush aside, you're like, oh, whatever, somebody's being stupid. And then mm-hmm. see it all in that list. And so on Reddit, um, it's basically divided up into individual little forums. And there are four mm-hmm. main LDS-related forums. There's the ex-Mormon one, which, you know, is of people who hate the church. This is not just mm-hmm. people who leave the church and walk away. These are people who are like the rabid ones mm. who are just attack the church all the time. And there is the Mormon subreddit, and they uh, we are often referred to as ex-Mormon light. They mm. tend to be neutral. They pretend to be an open space where everybody can discuss anything related to the church, but they dogpile on anybody who is a believing member, and they mm. attack them, and they hound them, and drive them out of the sub. And um, then there's the Latter-day Saints, which is kind of in between, like, strict orthodoxy and, you know, they're kind of a little bit more nuanced and they're open to questions and they allow participation from ex-members as long as they're polite. Mm-hmm. And there's the LDS sub, which is where I'm a moderator. And we are strictly orthodox and we do not allow ex-members to participate. It's kind of like a little safe space kind of thing mm-hmm. for leading members to not have to deal with the trolls and the wolves coming in and asking questions designed to tear down your faith and stuff. Yeah. We all have agreements. We're all supposed to be polite to each other. We don't brigade each other's subs. We don't attack the moderators. They let, but the ex-Mormon sub actually treats us better than the Mormon sub does. 
fascinating. Let's there are people rip into me and call me all kinds of horrible names and some my other moderators as well. The ex Mormon mm-hmm. sub shuts that right down. The Mormon sub does not. And they're supposed to be interesting, kind, tolerant ones. I don't know how to explain that. I don't either. They claim it's because we're public figures because we volunteer at FAIR, but I'm not a public figure. I mean, yeah. I just was writing posts on my sub. <laughs> and, and then my my fellow moderator was like, by the way, I took these to Scott behind your back. <laughs> he wants to post them on the website. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Because mm-hmm. obviously I have used fair a lot in my researching and reading stuff. And so I, I, you know, I was fine with that. I had a respect for them and their organization, but it was a surprise. I was not expecting it. I did not realize that I was going to be doxing myself and opening myself Mm -hmm. up to all of that. So it was a little weird. Yeah. Yeah. Um, any regrets about doing that? No, no, I've had a lot of good opportunities. I've made a lot of friends that I wouldn't have made otherwise. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it actually really strengthened my testimony. And mm-hmm. so I'm happy to share that. Yeah, I love it. It's a pretty good community of people who are trying to put out content that's faithful and and incredibly supportive of each other's projects. Yes, yes. Everybody's very, very friendly and very kind. All right. Well, that's probably enough about... <laughs> Reddit and the garbage you can get to on the internet. Yeah, honestly, um, a bit of a cesspool. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, yeah. You're a you're a tough cookie, man, for putting up with that. Thank you. Well, sorry. Um, I put up with a lot too. <laughs> you know, it is what it is. Our last story. There was an address um, to basically asking BYU faculty to work towards better aligning their teaching um, with LDS beliefs. Got a little bit of criticism of like, oh, this isn't academic freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, the the quote from um, the talk that I really like, I'll read it to you. It says, for some, actually, I'm sorry, this is um, from the article, not from the talk. For some, the call represents a welcome challenge to explore uniquely Latter-day Saint ways of thinking about and engaging in their diverse area of study. And I thought that was a really interesting way of saying it. I teach a BYU-Idaho class. Um, I enjoy it a lot. Right now I'm teaching parenting skills. The thing that, that clicked in my mind when I read this was, like part of what we're doing with the kids in that class is asking them to grapple with, um, here's some quotes from um, various prophets and church leaders on whatever subject it is that we're talking about that week. Here, here, here's some, some church information. Here's some research. Like here, here's some, some modern research ways of looking on it. How are you bringing those two things together? Um, and to be honest, they, they, those students, they rise to that challenge and really are able to dig in, analyze, like, what is being, what, what did Brigham Young say about spanking your children, right, more than 100 years ago? Right. And how does that square against what we know um, discipline-wise today from research about? And, 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 they do, and, they, and they do it in brilliant ways that isn't like... Um, oh, you should always believe the church and never believe research. It's ways to say like, 
these two things are supporting each other. And I can see absolutely how they are working together and do it in really creative ways. I love our students. They're amazing. In a class like I teach, parenting skills, that's way easier to do maybe than in an accounting class. I, I can not even imagine. Yeah. I, I, I don't know how that works in the more like technical disciplines. I don't know. And somehow, for the most part, BYU students are Latter-day Saints who have grown up in a, in a specific worldview, and they need to understand how they're bringing that worldview into their profession and, and what that means and how they get those two things to support each other. Um, so I think this is fantastic. I don't think this is censorship at all. This is saying we're teaching a very particular type of student here. We need to serve them by helping make those connections. No, I, I completely agree. And it, it's interesting to me that the faculty is pushing back on that and that the student body is pushing back on it because mm-hmm. you wouldn't think that they would. So yeah. it's actually a surprise to me that it, it's causing any controversy at all. Yeah. I, I, to me, I find that part disappointing and I find it like, like, no, wait a minute. Like, this is what we're trying to get them to do, to, to grapple with their beliefs and their profession yeah. and, and have them come out of school as a whole being that can have faith and work and those two things work together. Yeah, no, 100%. And it's so important, especially where, you know, a lot of the workplaces, they are secular areas and you get, you know, you work with a lot of different types of people and mm-hmm. there's a lot of language and activities that you do not personally engaged in that you're exposed to you know there's people smoking outside the entrance and you know people going out for drinks after work all that kind of thing mm-hmm. so to be able to combine that with your religion and still stay strong and find ways to work with that and manage that is a huge yeah. huge life skill yeah even the um the ethics required in many of the professions the the faith of a Latter-day Saint student um, really supports those ethics, helps them be deeper thinkers about it. Um, so yeah, kind of disappointing to hear the, the reaction on that one. I thought that the talk itself was fantastic. So did I. I, I was shocked by the reaction to it. Yeah. Uh, the internet is weird, man. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> I don't even know how else to say that. All right. Well, that's the news of the week. There was a lot this week to talk about. There was. There was some we even, we even, we could have done more. There's some we skipped. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, we, we left off a couple of big ones that you and I had talked about elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Sarah, where can people find your work online? Um, the Fair website. Uh, if you just search under CES letter or letter for my wife, or if you just even search my name, it'll pull them up. Um, you can find me on the LDS sub at Reddit. I also participate sometimes in the Latter-day Saints sub, but I am easy to find. Everybody knows my name. (laughs) And then the Hear Him Retreats. Um, You can find us on Facebook and Instagram right now. A website will be coming up soon. Um, It's just under the name Hear Him Retreats. Nice. We'll have more information coming soon. I love it. If you cannot get enough of, <laughs> if you need more Jennifer Roach in your life, and there is no one who should fall in that category. 
Um, you can find me on the Fair Latter Day Saint website. Um, my the podcast that we're doing is called um, uh, Fair Latter Day Saints Come Follow Me: Evangelical Questions for the New Testament um, on their website or on their on the Fair Latter Day Saints YouTube channel. And I look forward to hearing from you there. Got all kinds of questions and fun interaction on some of the comments on those. So there you go. Yeah, Sarah, thanks. Great to hang out with you. Yeah, it was nice talking to you. Thank you so much for having me. All right. I'll see you next time. Yep. Bye. Bye.